joining us right now to talk some football. He's on the Harbor One Hotline. Is our friend Tommy Kern of NBC Sports Boston. And, of course, Tommy brought to us by Dr. Matthew Lepresti, Leonard Hair Transplant Associates, the hair doctor of Tommy Kern at 1-800-GET-HAIR. Tommy, it only took one day for them to shut the media out down there. Well done. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this is okay. What do you mean? That we're not back there today? <laughs> yes, they're not back today. They let everybody in for a day, see what they needed to see, and now let's keep everybody out down there. Now, we'll be back next week. I believe it's next Monday is our next access, and then um, escalating until we get minicamp uh, in early June. So we'll get, some, we'll, get, we'll get our peepers on them. Well, all eyes certainly were on the offense, Tom, and you know who's calling plays, who's working with Mac Jones, how involved would Belichick be? What was your big takeaway from day one? Really the structure of it, and the biggest takeaway is that Bill Belichick spent the entire session with his undivided attention virtually on the offense. You know, we watched the first portion of practice, which is always some drills, and Joe Judge working with the quarterbacks and kind of overseeing the receivers along with Troy Brown um, and working on routes, Bill Belichick watching, Matt Patricia off way down the other end with the offensive line. When they did some seven-on-seven passing stuff, Joe Judge was running that. So leading one to believe, okay, passing game, Joe. They come back. They do some eleven-on-eleven running game again. This is no touchy, right? Um, just shadow stuff in shorts and t-shirts. Um, and Matt Patricia was involved in most of that, telling Mac, "This is the play we're running." So really, just getting reps for the passing game, getting reps for the running game, and then towards the end, when there was another eleven-on-eleven session, starters out there presumed. Um, Bill overtook the guidance of of the whole thing. So. There's your structure from one day in May mm-hmm. 2022. What will look like in September, we don't know, but it has Bill's undivided attention, which it deserves. What did you make of Belichick's comments yesterday, kind of swatting aside some of the questions about the OC spot? It's a little disingenuous, but not unexpected. I mean, I, he has a tendency to, you know, snicker at whatever we're making a story while behind the scenes, they're working feverishly on the exact same thing we're asking about. So I understand his stance and, hey, we don't have any plays to call right now. But meanwhile, Joe Judge on a conference call last week was detailing how much time he's spending practicing calling plays, if indeed that falls to him. I think it'll be a work in progress. Bill's break glass in case of emergency seems to be if I have to, I'll do it. And I take that from him saying, I've called plays, I've not called plays. You know, Joe Judge can say, okay, I've called special teams plays. They're different. There's a different vibe. And I understand why he'll be spending time, as much time as he is. There's personnel stuff to worry about. So it's going to be all hands on deck. But I think until further notice, Bill Belichick is the de facto offensive coordinator and successor to, to Josh McDaniels. Yeah, so that my next question was going to be about that that QB room, which uh, Mac Jones was sort of talking about yesterday. And uh, obviously going from Josh McDaniels down to Joe Judge is a ton of experience lost. Uh, you still have Brian Hoyer, and Gresh and I have been talking about how important it is to have Hoyer there. You also, not that it's a huge difference, but you switch out Jarrett Stidham, who was at least with the team for a couple of years, for a rookie quarterback in that room. But based on what you were saying there, it sounds like Bill Belichick himself might also be spending a lot of time with with that group of players. That's my presumption. I mean, they've, yeah. they've spent 
an inordinate amount of time, whether it was Jed Fish a couple of years ago or a guy named Bo Hardigree and, and Mick Lombardi and, you know, obviously Josh McDaniels and the institutional knowledge that was there. Um, if all that's gone and Hardigree and Lombardi and McDaniels are all gone, well, is there any person who contains all the knowledge that they do? That would be Bill. So I would presume that that, that is his plan. I, I'll succeed Josh, until further notice. And if it takes all year, it takes all year. It's interesting because, you know, there was always that Tuesday meeting we heard about with Belichick and Brady. They would get together and and share ideas and and talk about plans for the week. In 2019, that changed really to Casario doing it, which was another thing that kind of rankled Brady in that, okay, now I'm even less involved with input and, and getting intel on what's going on. But I would imagine that if that Tuesday meeting with Belichick hasn't already been reinstituted with Mac Jones, he'll be in on that and he'll be in deeply on all that stuff. What's that mean for the defense? I guess that's the next layer question. Well, Tommy, actually, I wanted to ask about Nick Cayley. Off of what you saw, do we have to, I don't know, put him either at the bottom of the list in terms of maybe being a play caller or just straight up cross him off at this point? At this point, I mean, just based on what I saw yesterday, he wasn't a player in terms of having input. Mm. He might be busting his ass behind the scenes in the you know, bowels of the place, and they're prepping him to do it. But I can only say what I'm watching from right. 75 yards away through binoculars on a hill, he wasn't involved. I wouldn't take that by any stretch <laughs> right. as... <laughs> The yeah, gra- Nick, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of caveats. The, the grassy yeah, yeah, knoll yeah, right. where all the media people are uh, <laughs> lined up mm-hmm. with their binocs. I mean, they could have put them everybody into like a giant fat suit and just said, uh, who and had dress up like Squid Game characters. We wouldn't have known who was doing what. Get a hat and a pencil. And, they might have uh, given you a position group. <laughs> that's right. Uh yeah, I mean, there was plenty of absences yesterday, and like you said, there's there's plenty of caveats on it. It's, it's OTAs, it's May, there's, it's not full pads by a long stretch. But did any of the absences stand out to you uh, from yesterday? You know, the Isaiah Wynn absence is a little troubling. You have a guy who's in the final year of his rookie contract. They're picking up a $10 million tab on him, and he hasn't played like a $10 million player. Um I think he can still be good. Is he not there because he's rankled that he hasn't gotten an extension? Is he not there because of a family situation? Is he not there because he's working out on his own? We don't have the ability to ask that. Again, these are voluntary. Mm-hmm. But Isaiah Wynn would seem to me a guy who I would say, oh, that's, that's, that's too bad. It would seem he'd want to have him here. He might be there today. Right. So, right, right. again, caveats out the wazoo. That was an eye-opener. Nikhil Harry, I think that's a fait accompli that we can all agree upon anyway. I think the most important thing that I drew away from it, though, was the presence of John U. Smith, which you would expect he would be there. But he acknowledged that missing time and having what he and I both termed a choppy offseason set him back last year. So he is front and center and ready to go um, right now, which he has to be. How did uh, the body shape of Mac Jones look through your binoculars? A little thicker in the shoulders. A little thicker in the butt. Good. Good. I thought it looked good. And as you know, Kendrick Bourne pointed out, and I wasn't able to see this, he said the belly's gone. Not that he was, you know, spilling over his belt anyway, but, you know, he tuned up his body the same way so many players do after a year away from college and into a profession that is paying you to be at the top of your 
physical and mental health uh, and acuity. So he's he did the work that he needed to do, which isn't a surprise. I mean, I think that's about the last thing anyone has to worry about with Jones is will he devote himself to the position and the development of himself going forward. So, yeah, I think it'll make a difference. Arm strength was the same as it was previously, which always in these shorts and T-shirts things, there's never a lack of arm strength with Mac Jones. I think the important thing to remember, from my vantage point, Mac Jones' arm strength is highlighted more when he can't throw from that solid platform and, you know, isn't necessarily stepping into it. He can rip it as good as anybody with velocity, but maybe some of that shoulder size and strength that he's got and maybe that big bucket now he can draw upon and and get it out to the sideline a little bit better from, like, the opposite hash when he doesn't have an opportunity to set his feet. That remains to be seen. Any positives or negatives jump out to you from the rookie class at all? Thornton is extremely skinny. Jack Jones spent a ton of time. He's the safety from, excuse me, corner from Arizona State, working on punt returns, as did J.J. Taylor. Um, we really didn't get a chance to see quite how fast he was. I would say one thing that stood out was Devontae Parker. This looks smooth. The whole receiver group looks, looks good. It really does. I, I, I feel way better about the receiver group, I think, than – than most people generally think. I mean, no, they didn't draft one um, well, yeah, in the first did. round. And oh, the guys yeah, that they yeah. took, and the guys that they took is like, who, who, who's that? That's a fifth round pick, right? But I don't think that they really needed one terribly either because of the complement of guys that they have. So they look good, shorts and t-shirts. Yeah, Tommy Kern of NBC Sports Boston Regression Kiwi's with us on the Harbor One Hotline. Uh, Keith and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I'm curious for your thoughts. We know the Cleveland Browns are on the schedule of the Patriots, and apparently tonight on uh, Real Sports on HBO, a couple of the accusers to Deshaun Watson are going to speak. Uh, How tricky a spot is this for the NFL once all of that gets out there, in your opinion? Boy, um, I don't know how tricky it is. I mean, they should not, and we always know that that's the case, they should not be licking their finger and, and testing the wind on, you know, what's public opinion here. Do the right thing. Figure it out. Compare the situation to the Ben Roethlisberger situation when you dispense the, the, the penalty that you did to him and follow suit. You know, it is extremely uncomfortable to have, at the very least uncomfortable, to have a player with – the avalanche of accusations against him that he does, but you also have to, as a league, defer to the legal system and say, well, they didn't take action. So the action we're taking is based upon what we're saying is the privilege of playing in the NFL means we can dispense a different kind of justice than the, than the legal system. And I think they need to, to continue to circle back to that because that's a fact that nobody is going to be terribly comfortable with. As, again, I've talked to players over the last couple of years since the Watson stuff came down. Like, have been in the league for 10 years, and they've had three masseuses over that time. He's been in the league for three, and he's got 45? I mean, that's just implausible. So the league just needs to, I, I would think, dispense with their justice sooner rather than later. Tommy Curran of NBC Sports Boston. Thank you, friend. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right, guys. Take care.